Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Today, I'm really looking forward to, and I've been sharing this with the leaders, I'm really looking forward to starting this new sermon series called Deeper. And I was looking at the ad today, and I was like, dang, that's a cool ad. So the creative communications team is doing a great job. Uh, it makes me like think about icebergs and things like that. Um, but one of the things that I, I was thinking about as we're talking about this sermon series was just where our church is at in this season. And as we start off, you know, we're a couple weeks into 2020. And, and I was just thinking and praying through, like, what is it that you want us to talk about? Where is our church? How are we going to really start off this new year? And for some of us, we... We look back and some of us, we might have set New Year's resolution goals. For, some of us are very anti-New Year's resolution, right? So say instead of setting New Year's resolution, I'm going to set goals for the new year, right? But they're exactly the same thing. And you're, you're saying, okay, I want to get into my relationship with God. I want to develop my work. I want to get a 4.0 GPA. Like there's so many things that I want this coming year. But one of the things that oftentimes gets left behind or we, we just go through the motions to do the same thing is, is in our relationship with God, in our spirituality. Uh, some of us, we just received Christ, and so it's been an up-and-down season, but we're still at the very surface level of our walks with God. Some of us, we've been walking with God for several years, three, four, five, ten, maybe 15, 20 years or so. And Somewhere along the line, we've gotten comfortable with where we are, and we've hit this plateau, and we just can't seem to get through it. We can't seem to continue growing. We just see our Christian life as a series of meetings that we just come every Sunday, we do our worship, we hear a sermon, we fall asleep. I can see you, don't worry. And then we just go on and live the rest of our life, and nothing changes. And we're wondering, God, why? Is it always going to be like this? And it just becomes another part of our weekly routine that we engage in. But there's something about going deeper with God. There's something about who God is and what he stands for that in God's word, and when we see just scripture and we see stories of who God is and all the people of old that have experienced God in a powerful way, we realize there's something more to this Christian life than what we just experience on a day-to-day, on a week-to-week basis. There's some deeper level of a relationship with him that we need to experience that we haven't gotten quite yet. Just like oftentimes when we use the iceberg analogy, that the relationship with God that we see, the the experience that we have, we've only experienced maybe 10% above the surface, but there is so much more below that we need to experience. And so as we start this sermon series called Deeper, I just look into some of us, the definition of the word deep. I know many of us, we know uh, the definition, but as we look into some of these definitions, it really helps us to understand what is it that we're really going to talk about. Uh, According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, there are some definitions of the word deep, and I just took a couple. There's there's a lot of them, but a couple that will be relevant for us as we go through this series. First one is extending far downward, a vast or immeasurable extent, difficult to penetrate or comprehend, Intensely engrossed or immersed, characterized by profundity or feeling or quality. There's something vast. There's something that is hard to penetrate. It's sometimes difficult to comprehend. There's something intense, engrossing, or immersing about God that we want to go deeper in. In our prayer lives, in how we read the the Bible, in our relationships in Christian community. There's something so deep, so profound about this God that we want in this journey in the next five weeks that we're going to talk about in this sermon series. And so today we're going to start, uh, and it's going to be a five-part series. So today we're going to be talking about going deeper in fasting and in prayer. Next week we'll talk about going deeper in God's Word. In part three we'll talk about going deeper in self-awareness, part four, we'll talk about going deeper in love, and in part five, we'll talk about going deeper in our trust, in obedience with God. And I'm really looking forward and hoping 
that this sermon series, and we're going to try to mix things up a little bit. Uh, I'm going to try to share a little bit shorter, so pray for me, because you know pastors can talk for a very long time. Um, But we're going to try to share a little bit shorter so that we can actually go deeper, because going deeper will require us to actually not just hear and not just listen and not just mentally process things, but to go deeper, we have to be engrossed, we have to be immersed, we actually have to apply some of the things that we talk about. So at, during the response time, in some of the parts, we'll have different ways that we're actually going to apply some of these things. So today, we're going to be talking about fasting and prayer, and we're going to be going over the passage Matthew 4, uh, verses 1 to 10. Matthew 4, verses 1 to 10. So you can turn your Bibles to that. Uh, if you have the mobile app, you want next to you, the along with the fill-in notes. And if you don't have the mobile app, I encourage you to download it. Or you can just share with someone next to you the passage and different points will be available there. So I just wanted to start with this brief question. The first question I wanted you to think about is, what would you be willing to give up for, for a million dollars? What would you be willing to give up if someone offered you a million dollars? And not a million Hong Kong dollars, let's say a million U.S. dollars, so that's like 7.78 million Hong Kong dollars. Or the other way to ask this question is, what would you be willing to do if someone gave you a million dollars? And kids oftentimes ask this question, and it becomes, you know, uh, this really gross game of would you rather, you know, for this or for that, and it's a very extremely hypothetical question, because I don't know about you, I've never had anyone offer me a million dollars to do some weird, crazy stuff. Um, but what ends up happening is when we begin to desire or imagine this, there are a lot of things that we start to entertain that we would do that we would never do normally. Right? Things that like we will be totally grossed out with on a normal day-to-day basis, but that for the sake of getting a million dollars, we will be very willing to do. And so I want to show you this video of two people who are doing this survey of different things. And they'll show pictures. I, I wish the pictures were a little bit longer, but they're brief, but you can, you can see it. They're talking through, what would I do? What would you do for a million dollars? And there's some really gross things, but I, hopefully you kind of pay attention and see if that's something you would do. So let's watch this video together. All right. How many would you actually suck the toe for a million dollars? No one? All right. I see a handful in the back. Okay. Very, very desiring of that million dollars. So there are a lot of things, crazy, weird, disgusting things that some people would do for a million dollars. And the question is, like, what else are we willing to give up for a million dollars? Or let's up the ante. Let's say it's not a million. Let's say it's a billion dollars. Or let's say it's a trillion dollars, where you're set for like you're richer than uh, the, the the richest man in the world. I don't know if it's Jeff Bezos or it's Warren Buffett or who it is these days, but you don't have to worry about money at all. Or what if it wasn't money? What if it was anything else that you desired, the the, the greatest desire that you have in this whole wide world? Would you be willing to not just do those nasty things, but would you be willing to give up your food, your comfort, your relationships? And that's a question that we want to talk about today, is because it's not necessarily giving up nasty things or doing nasty things so that we can have a million dollars, but instead of monetary value, instead of millions of dollars, instead of comfort, instead of those things, the question is, what would we be willing to give up for God, for the God of the universe that we serve, that we worship. Because we desire God more than anything else. That God is so desirable. God is so something that we yearn for so much that we would be willing to go to any extent to know Him, to understand Him, to trust Him, to learn about Him, to be near to Him. And that's what we want to talk about today is how do we go deeper with God through prayer, through fasting? Because going deeper with God is not just about giving up the food. It's not just about doing the thing. It's not just about uh, closing out your Instagram, signing out 
of your TikTok account. Although I don't know how many of you use TikTok. It's a little bit of young, younger generation. But it's really about saying, God, I want to make you the pinnacle of my desire more than anyone else, more than anything else in this world. And so we want to go through this passage in Matthew 4, 1 to 10. And um, this passage is actually a familiar one for many of us. It's about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. And many of us, when we look at this passage, we, we see this passage and we say, you know what? This passage is about temptation and how Jesus uses the Bible to help us to overcome temptation, which is true and valid. But I want us to look at this passage with a different lens, a different perspective to say, you know what? This passage is really about desire. It's about desiring God more than anything else. So hopefully you've turned to Matthew 4, uh, and we'll just start off by reading verses 1 to 2, and then get into the three temptations that Jesus goes through. Goes through. So let me read verses 1 to 2 for us first. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Then after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So Jesus is just about to start his ministry. After getting baptized by John the Baptist, the Spirit takes him into the desert, into the wilderness, where he's tempted. And, and one thing that I, I miss oftentimes when I was reading this passage that I noticed this time around, we noticed that in verse 2, Jesus was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Usually I just jump to that point, like Jesus in the wilderness, and then uh, Satan is there, and he's like, I'm going to tempt you with these things. But I, I, I don't know why I missed this, where he was fasting right throughout the whole time before Satan tempts him. He was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And this is in the context of fasting. It's in the context of Jesus being very hungry that we see Satan bringing these temptations to Jesus. Because it's not just about temptation. It's not just about the fasting itself. But it's the, the, the end to which fasting and prayer brings Jesus Christ to that we want to look at. And I want to share this quote from John Piper from his, and he's to God, and I'm going to quote this uh, a couple times throughout the message this morning. But he says, and he's talking about Jesus here, he says, admittedly the sacrifice of a son says more than a sacrifice of a sandwich. But the principle is the same, and many small acts of preferring fellowship with God above food can form a habit of communion and contentment that makes one ready for the ultimate sacrifice. This is one way that fasting stirs all our acts of love to God. It keeps the preferring faculty on alert and sharp. It does not let the issue rest. It forces us to ask repeatedly, do I really hunger for God? Do I miss Him? Do I long for Him? Or have I begun to be content with His gifts? Christian fasting is a test to see what desire controls us. And that's what we want to get at today, is do we really hunger for God more than anything else? So let's look at the three ways that Satan tempts Jesus and three ways that we want to go deeper in. So what are the three ways that Jesus is saying we want to desire God more than, more than X, Y, and Z? So the first point, we want to see that Jesus says it's more than satisfaction. We ought to desire God more than satisfaction. Let's read verses 3 to 4. Let's continue on. It says, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So in each of these points, we're going to go through each of the temptations. And what we're going to do is first look at the temptation and then see how Jesus responds by exposing the real desire that Satan is trying to, to pick at and show us what the real desire that we ought to have is. So the temptation here that we first see in this verses 3 to 4, we see that dev, the devil tempts Jesus to turn stones into bread. Now, what's the significance of bread? Why bread? Well, of course, since he's fasting, Satan is trying to tempt Jesus to eat. And bread, I guess, in the Middle East is a source of sustenance. It's like the basic unit of food. It's like rice in Hong Kong or rice in Indonesia, right? He's saying it's with everything. And so when you look at the, the, the temptation, he's saying, I want you, Jesus, to somehow take out Get out of this mode of fasting so that you can actually 
Sustain yourself. Be satisfied because you're hungry. Cure your hunger cravings. And so what is Satan trying to get at? He's elevating, the devil's elevating the desire for personal satisfaction. The desire for nourishment, the desire of the flesh that he has, the hunger pains that he has. He's saying if you turn it to bread, then you're going to be satisfied. If you, if you turn it to bread, then you will be sustained, you'll be nourished, you'll have everything that you need to move forward. And some of us, we're, we're, we might be fasting for the first time, and, and we're going through this one desire fast for the next 12 days. And for some of us, this is going to be a real, a, a real experience. Those hunger pains that you're going to feel, it's, you're going to be, you're like, you're going to be, wow. E- even if you're fasting from uh, meat, you, you, you won't realize how much you crave meat before you started to take it out of your diet. I, I, don't, I don't know how many of us uh, tried fasting from uh, either one meal a day or some of us, we did liquids before. And I think the first time I did, I, I was stunned at how much I thought about food throughout the whole day. It's incredible. Like literally you walk around and every single day and you're like, Oh, what food should I eat today? Oh, sushi sounds really good today. You know, or like, oh, meat. I want meat. And I know it just, it just like constantly occupies your every single thought. And I just, I was just blown away by how much I thought about food. And I didn't realize, like, do I, do I normally think about this? Do I like normally go? And I started to realize I actually do. I, I was uh, visiting the U.S. home with family. And it was the funniest thing. Like, we would be having lunch together. And then immediately after lunch, I would ask, and I realized this is how I grew up. After lunch, me and my brother would ask, what's for dinner? You know, like, mom, what's for dinner? You know, and then, I, I don't know. I just realized, like, the, the thought about food, even though I don't consciously think about it, like, it's always on my mind because it's such a basic human need that we have. And when we think about this basic human need, it just drives us to do everything that we do. Like, we, we, go, we go looking for food. We go looking for sustenance. We, we, uh, we have these cravings like, oh, I'm really craving like meat today. Or I'm really craving Italian food. Or I'm really craving like tang or whatever it is. And those things really drive us. Those things really dictate our behavior. And when we think about it, it's not just food. It's not just the sustenance of food that drives us. But there's deeper levels of desire that drives us in a similar way every single day. Things like, anything that's related to sustenance, things like financial security, things like your your career, things like your family stability. The, the, The level that we think about those things is almost the equivalent to what we think about food. For many of us, we're working, and the thing that we cannot get out of our minds is, man, I need to get this level of salary. Or I need to get this kind of job that will sustain me for my future. I I need to afford, I need to have a salary enough that I can afford rent in Hong Kong because it's impossible or eventually to be able to buy a flat. And those are the things that just consume our minds because what? It's our sustenance. It's what's going to sustain us because we need a shelter. We need a home, a place to live. And we desire those things. And there's nothing wrong with those desires. But what Jesus' response is very interesting. He says, and let's look at Jesus' response. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And there are two words that I want to focus on in in this quote. And he actually quotes Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, all throughout these passages. The two words I want to focus on, the first is the word live. Satan is tempting him. He says, turn stones into bread. And he he doesn't say, like, oh, for life. He he just says, oh, maybe you can just satisfy your hunger. But Jesus takes it to the end, and he says, you know what? It's actually about life. Man does not live on bread alone. There's something more than just personal satisfaction. The main goal isn't just sustenance. There's something more to it. It's all about life. If you desire true life, you can't find it simply from bread. You can't find it simply from sustenance. And the other phrase is, he mentions, he says, bread alone. He says, he doesn't acknowledge you, you, you don't live on bread. He says, you do live on bread, but you don't live on bread alone. There's a deeper desire. There's something more than bread that will give you true life. And we know that it's Jesus Christ, ultimately. He is the 
the way, the truth, and the life. But when we think about these words, I wanted to give us the reference for what Jesus is quoting. He's quoting from Deuteronomy verse, chapter 8, verse 3 in the ESV. And in the highlighted portions, let's read it all together. It says, And he humbled you and let your hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. What is Jesus referring to? He's referring to the Israelites who came out of Egypt. And it was in this context of this passage, Moses is the one uh, who was usually credited as the authorship, but whoever the author is, he's telling them, He's saying that the Israelites, they're longing for the sustenance, the good things of Egypt. Because so many times they complained about, why did you bring us to eat this manna, this, this, this dry stuff? Where back in Egypt, we had so much good stuff, fish, and I don't know, I was imagining Middle Eastern food, like hummus and kebabs and like all this good food. Now, why would you bring us to, to eat this stuff? And Jesus says, there's something more to it. There's something more. You're living off not just the sustenance I'm giving you, but you're living off every word that comes from God. And the word that comes from God, it signifies purpose. It signifies obedience. It signifies where I lead you, you're going to go to the promised land, to be my people. Those are the promises that God gave the Israelites. And when I was thinking about this whole idea of sustenance versus life purpose, uh, it just brought to mind this, this idea of uh, many of you who are like psychology majors, you've heard of, how many of you have heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Okay, a handful of you. Okay, so this is a brief psychology lesson, okay? Maslow's psych- uh, hierarchy of needs, there's a, I think there's an image? No? Okay. We have five major needs. Um, Maslow talks about physiological needs, which is just basic things like bread, water, warmth, rest. And then it goes up on the very basic needs all the way to the pinnacle of what you need. So you need safety and security. You also need belonging, relationships. You need esteem, right? Prestige, feeling of accomplishment. And at the very top of the pyramid of the hierarchy is self-actualization. It's self-fulfillment, your potential. It, that's where you get purpose. And, and I was thinking about that whole concept, you know, like, the disgusting toe. Would you want, like, have a million? Would you rather do this? Would you rather do that for, you know? And I was thinking, like, could I eat bread for the rest of my life and be sustained, be, feel like I have purpose? And I, I was, like, um, I was, like, hanging out with my wife the other day, and we were, like, oh, should we go out and do something fun, or should we just stay in? And I was just, like, I, I don't know. I had this thought in my mind. I was, like, I would be totally content we're just sleeping all day. <laughs> you know, like, I, I just feel so lethargic. I would just want to sleep all day. And then I, I, I stepped back for a moment. I, I said, would I really be okay with sleeping all day? And all you do is just eat bread and then sleep. And then eat bread and sleep. And then probably pee and poo in there and then sleep and then eat. And then, you know, just rotate, repeat. And I realized, you know, no, you know what? No, actually. I, I don't think any of us would be okay with that. That would drive many of us insane. And in every single one of us, there's a deeper desire for meaning, for purpose, for the reason for why we live, there there to be some kind of significance to why we're here. And so when we think about it, you know what? What Jesus is saying is so true. Man doesn't just live on bread alone. But he lives on the, the fact that there is a purpose, there's a word of God that he's given us for something greater. And that's what he's saying is you ought to desire more deeply is God, His purpose, His word, His plan for you, whatever that might be. And not just bread, not just the sustenance, not just the job or the career, the the security. Because even if you get that security, even if you get that flat, even if you get that job, even if you get that GPA, you're not going to be deeply satisfied. That's why desiring God and fasting is more than just satisfaction. It's more than satisfaction. Let's move on to the second point. It's not just more than satisfaction. It's also more than confidence. It's more than confidence. Let's continue and read verses 5 to 7. Verses 5 to 7. It says, Then the devil took him 
to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So again, let's look at the temptation and Jesus responds. The temptation here, Satan is saying, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. The devil tempts Jesus to throw himself off some kind of high building or precipice. And the devil even uses scripture to nudge Jesus into doing the stunt. He quotes from Psalm 91, 11 to 12. Let's read it. It says, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And of course, Satan takes this verse out of context, because just a couple of verses, if you read Psalm 91, it's all about making God our refuge and our fortress. And if anything comes against us, that's when the angels are going to come and guard us. It's not if we throw ourselves down and test God, but it's as we take refuge in Him. So, so what Satan is doing is he's, he's challenging Jesus, throw yourself down. You're the son of God. There's a promise that all these angels are going to come and guard you. And so you ought to exercise that power because you're able. Now what does the devil say? He's saying the devil is elevating the desire for validated confidence. He's trying to tempt Jesus into proving himself that he is able that he is strong enough, that he is powerful enough. And it's all about a me-centered ability. It's a form of egoism. It's a proof of our ability or competence. This is, this is oftentimes what we see in, in stunts or, or daredevils, right? I don't know if you ever thought about that word, daredevil, right? It's where you, where you do things, dares, that are somewhat associated with the devil or some extreme act that is, that is, I don't know, sinister or wicked, or something like that. And, and it's interesting because when you talk to daredevils or when you do interviews, when you watch, go to YouTube and you, you do these interviews with people who do like craziest things you would never do, there's a common thread that they do it for what? For the sense of accomplishment. They do it for the sense of no one else has ever done it before. I, I was a couple of like months ago. I was watching this YouTube video of this guy who went skydiving without a parachute. He went skydiving without a parachute, and he jumped into this. I guess it was like a, I don't know, 100 meter by 100 meter like this net. But it's crazy, like from like tens of thousands of I don't know how many thousands of meters high, jumping from a plane, then landing right precisely in the net. Like if he miscalculated even by a little bit, he could have been dead. But you know, if you watch the video at the very end, like what happens and all the medical people are running over like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm okay. He's like, yeah, yeah. And then like his wife is giving him a hug because she's probably so terrified that he could have passed away. But he's like, yeah, you know, he's like, he's so self-consumed with his accomplishment. And, and of course, you probably can't relate with like skydiving without a parachute. I don't know if anyone's ever done that before, right? But there's so many other things that we do and I was trying to think, okay, what's the closest thing in Hong Kong? And I, I don't know if there's any daredevils in Hong Kong. The closest thing I was, could, could think of was, I think there were back two or three years ago. It was winter, that Hong Kong was really cold. There was like a, one weekend or a couple of days that it went below zero. And there were news reports of people driving up to Taimo Shan just to see the snow. Because they've never, ever seen snow before. I don't know, this, this kind of like, I was the only one who could see snow in Hong Kong I've never seen snow. Snow has never been in Hong Kong, except for the mountain. And of course, you know, there were reports of the people who drove up there. They had to be rescued by firefighters and police officers. Like, you know, it was just kind of, why would you do something like that? But there's something about seeking the thrill or seeking an experience of something that you can do, that you can see that no one else can. And it's interesting because something like that exists in every single one of us. Something to prove ourselves. Something to show or demonstrate that we're great. What is Jesus' response? In verse 7, it says, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. I want to read the verses that that comes from. He quotes Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. He says, 
You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. Well, what was Massa? What happened there? If we go back to Exodus chapter 17, verse 7, this is when the Israelites were actually arguing with God because they were thirsty, because they, as they were going through the desert, they didn't have water. So in Exodus 17, verse 7, he says, And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And it's interesting, Jesus responds this way, because in the book of Matthew, Matthew oftentimes uses so many Old Testament references because it was written to a Jewish audience. And the Jewish audience that was familiar with the Old Testament, they would have known that this was the context that Jesus was speaking these verses into. And so what the Israelites were really doing was not only were they testing, but they were complaining against God. And what, were, what they were doing is when they were complaining against God, they were questioning what? His competence. They were questioning his ability. They were questioning his reliability to sustain them, his reliability to be able to do something. And so what Satan is now doing, he's twisting these verses. And he's saying, if you do not see God working in your life, as the Israelites did not see God working in their lives, he's saying, take things into your own hands. Take things into your own hands. Demonstrate your own competence. Prove yourself that your desire, your highest desire should be to prove that you are competent, that you are good enough, that you are able on your own ability. But we know, and we look at so many other uh, references in Scripture, that this is completely opposite of the gospel message. The gospel doesn't say you are competent and therefore you are accepted. It doesn't say you are competent and therefore you are loved. It doesn't say you are competent and therefore you will go to heaven. It says that if you have faith, regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done, that God is competent enough to love you, to die for you, to care for you, to provide for you. We see this so many verses. For God is working all things for the good in Romans. He says, nothing is impossible with God. Paul says in Corinthians, he says, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Even Jesus himself, when he was on the cross, the Jews criticized him. They said, if you are the son of God, bring yourself down. And he didn't. Why? Because he believed that God's competence was good enough for him. And the question for us is how much are we desiring our own competence for ourselves? How many of us, we're, we're, so, we're so insecure, so worried about what our bosses are going to think of us this coming year? Our performance review evaluation did not go well this past year. Some of us, we, we, we went back home to our families. We got a lot of criticism. And a lot of that criticism, for better or for worse, was a lot of, you're not good enough. You know, like the, the Asian parents are like, you come home like, you gain weight. You look fat. You know the auntie that does that, right? Or the cousin's like, why did you gain so much weight? And then all of you are like, oh, man, I got to like lose weight. Or like, you know, it just doesn't make you feel good about yourself, right? And there's so many things that are told to us about our competence or our looks or our abilities that we draw and we start this new year and we're like, oh, that's what I desire. I desire to be better. I desire to be stronger. I desire to be skinnier. I desire to be better at work. When God is saying, whoa, whoa, wait up, it's the complete opposite of what I want from you. I want you to rely on my competence, the cross of Jesus Christ. I want you to desire God more than anything else. And so this, this coming year, instead of doing more OT, instead of trying that new diet, and instead of like saying, oh, I'm going to do this more so I can get that 4.0 GPA because i got to make up for my 2.0 GPA, you know, like, like, instead of thinking those things, let's say, you know what, God, I, I, I want to trust in you. I, I want to I see you work in my life instead of me work in my own life. So more than satisfaction, more than competence, the last thing, quickly, that Jesus says is more than everything else in this world, and oftentimes connected to material possessions, more than everything else. Let's finish off and read verses 8 to 10. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. 
And he said to them, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Again, last, uh, last temptation. We see the temptation here the devil tempts Jesus with is all kingdoms, all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. So the devil is tempting Jesus with everything in the world. All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. So the devil here, he's elevating the desire for worldly materialism, for possessions, for power, for authority. When we think about this, 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 this temptation, we realize worship, and the ultimate thing is worshiping Satan, which is what Satan wants Jesus to do. Worship is also a form of desire. It's all about what that person can give you when you're in that relationship with him. And we see this all throughout the Psalms, that worship, when we look at the Psalms, you know, we see Psalm 63. It's all about like, I, I thirst for you, I pant, I'm hungry for you, God. That's a form of worship. We see this in the world, too, when we think about celebrities. I don't know if there's any celebrities that visited Hong Kong recently, but, but anytime we have celebrities that come, you know, like we see all the fans, like, reaching out, like, come, come, come. And you, all you want to do is you, you want to you grab them. You want to you you touch them. For what reason? It's a form of worship. Because there's a part of connecting with that person that you feel, that we feel like we're going to get something. I, I saw this, uh, it was actually a meme, but it happened to post Pope Francis, uh, Catholic uh, Pope, and he was walking around, and there's so many crowds, and there's something you know, special about the Pope and the Catholic Church and, and their theology where the Pope has some special status. So all these people were gathering around, and there's this one lady, it's so interesting, there's one lady that he was like shaking hands and trying to you know, greet a couple people. This one lady just grabbed his hand and wouldn't let go. And then, and then the security guards like came, no! And then Pope was like, no! It was like really interesting. You go look it up on Google. But there's something about like just wanting to touch him that's somehow feeling like, oh, there's going to be some kind of power or blessing or favor that comes upon our life. And, and I don't know. Like I remember in undergrad too, like I would think that like different Bibles have different powers. You know, like I saw like there were a couple of times where like I, I was on a missions project with some of the pastors. And I would like look at that pastor's Bible, and it'd be like super worn down. You know, of course, like my, myself and Pastor, we don't use physical Bibles, so we don't have like worn down Bibles. But I would see the worn down Bible, and I would like open the Bible, and like, whoa! <laughs> like if I read this Bible, man, I'm gonna grow like crazy. You know, there's something special about this Bible that is gonna help me get to that next level, or like, man, I'm gonna be blessed in everything that I do. And I don't know, like we just make these weird associations, and. It's so interesting how, like, subconsciously, we don't even realize it, but we give into the very temptation that Satan wants, to, wants us to believe, that he's tempting Jesus with. He's saying, if you desire me, if you worship me, if you worship these things, now I can satisfy your every desire. I can get you to where you want to be. Possessions, power, authority. So when we think about, like, that $1 million, it seems trivial, you know, like why should I suck on a toe if I can get all these other things as long as I have these possessions, as long as I have this, this power, these material things. Let's see Jesus' response. He says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. This comes from Deuteronomy, he's quoting Deuteronomy 6. Uh, verse 13. So let's read uh, verses 10 to 13 in Deuteronomy 6. And again, read the highlights together. It says, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And let's read verse 13 together. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. 
it's, it's God's name you shall fear. It's, it's another reverent fear which is synonymous with worship. Him you shall serve. And so what Jesus is saying, in, in, and of course, we don't see the context until you read the bigger part of Deuteronomy, but he's saying, look, look at all the things that I've given you. Look at all the things that God will give you. He's going to give you everything that you need. So it's interesting that when you desire all these material possessions, we don't remember the fact that actually who is the one that gave it to us in the first place? Like it's so easy in our Christian lives to desire what? The gifts of God, but really forget who? The giver. And so what, what, what this passage is saying is, like, don't forget all the cities that you did not build, the houses that you did not fill, the cisterns you didn't dig, the vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. When you are full, be careful, because you might forget God, who is the ultimate one who gave you all these things. So don't desire the things, because the things will run out. The things are temporary. But it's God who is ever lasting, who will always be there, who will provide for you everything that you need. I mean, I, I know for myself, it's been so easy to complain about work. It's been so easy to be like, oh, man, if only I had a better job. If only my colleagues were a certain way. And I, I've been sharing with you throughout my messages just my struggles with work. And, and I, there have been so many times I just felt like, God, I just want to quit. Like, I, I, I don't want to spend another day because I'm not satisfied. There are all these things that are not right. And then just recently, I actually had a day event and I don't know why my just perspective just changed in that instance because we had a really great event. You know, we had a good time with colleagues. And I don't know, in that moment, God just reminded me, you know what, Bo? Like, think of all, like, the whole journey that I brought you on in this job that you have. How you got the job. And some of you know the story of how I got the job. It was, I fell asleep in an interview. I shouldn't have gotten the job, but God still gave me the job. You know, it was like crazy. It was really a God thing, right? If you ever fall asleep in an interview, you get a job, that's a, it's a God-given job, okay? <laughs> and even the fact that we were able to have life group because I had that job. We had nowhere else to meet for life group, but my boss allowed us to meet as a life group in that place. For that whole first year, he provided. And to have the flexibility to be on campus, to uh, be with the students. Like, I, I don't know, there's things I just cannot deny that weren't coincidence. I realized, you know what, it was all God. For me to realize, and you know, I, for, I realized I forgot. I forgot who God was, that he was the giver for the job that I had. And it's so easy to be ungrateful for the things that I have because I'm so focused on the current circumstance, the current feeling that I have, how I don't have all these things, God. But I forgot that, you know what, God, I still have you, and you will give me the good things that I need. And I'm wondering, what are those things for us? What are the things that we're unsatisfied by? What are the things that we, are, we feel incompetent in? What are the things that we feel like we're still lacking, material possessions or circumstances that hinder us from saying, God, I want to desire you more than anything else? And the reason why they hinder us from desiring God is because we're so satisfied. We're so easily satisfied with those things. We forget who it is that really is giving us those things to begin with. Uh, John Piper I put together two quotes that he mentions, but uh, they really work together well. And he, he talks about this. He says, The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. I don't know if you had apple pie. It's really good. It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. It's not the X-rated video, but the prime time dribbling of triviality that we drink in every night. So it's not those things, it's not those really attractive things that we oftentimes categorize. It's, it's the mundane, it's the daily things that we desire. Continue on, he says, If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things. and There's no room for the great. And isn't this many of us been so satisfied with the everyday, so satisfied with the sustenance, the satisfaction, so satisfied with 
getting our own competence to the next level. So satisfied with the things, the material possessions, the power, the authority that we can acclaim for ourselves. That we have no more room for desiring for God. And I'm hoping that that's why we're going on this fast. That's why fasting is, is not about just doing the food. Yes, removing the food is the trigger, it's the spark. But it's really about identifying the desires that are not of God. To say, you know what, God, I want to replace those desires with you. Food, social media, no meat, all that, those are just methods, those are just tools. There's nothing like so like magical about those things. But it's removing those things that will trigger us to realize, you know what, God, I, I want you. I want you. I just want to close with this. Um, I, I'm not going to read it, but I just want to describe to us a parable that Jesus talked about um, in, in, in the Gospels. And it's the parable of the great banquet. It's, it's where God invites his disciples to a great feast. And in this great feast, he's inviting people. He's inviting so many different people. And in this invitation, so many people are rejecting him. They're saying, oh, I, I, I just got married. Or, oh, I have this other thing. Or, I have to tend to my flock. Or, I have so many other busy things that I need to tend to. And so, I can't make it to that great feast. And what ends up happening in the parable is that Jesus says, forget them. Bring in all the other poor people on the streets, the blind, the lame, those who are hurting. Because none of those who are originally invited will enter into my kingdom. And it's right after that parable that Jesus actually says this in Luke 14. So you can later on read that parable in Luke 14. But right after the parable, the next verse, in Luke 14, verse 27, in the NIV, it says, And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. When we think about desiring God over everything, it's not just a matter of like one desire is better than another. Oh, like I just need to seek God a little bit more. It's really a matter of being with God or being against God. There's no in-between. There's no gray area. It's either you're with God or you're not. You're either invited or you're not. You're either invited and you go or you don't go. And it's our choice every single day. Because Jesus Christ, his cross is there. He died for us. He gave his life for us. His blood was shed. He rose again. Those things are in the past. Those things are written down and recorded for us to believe in. But it's whether or not we choose to believe it every single day that matters. It's whether we choose to take up our cross and follow him, desire him. Because there are going to be a lot of things that we have to carry our cross for, desires that we have to say, you know what, God, I'm going to set these things aside. I'm going to set this sustenance, I'm going to set this materialism aside. I'm going to set this competence desire aside because you're so much greater. Every single day we do that. That's part of following Christ every single day. And I'm hoping that as we begin this fast, that will be our desire. We'll say yes to God. Yes, I want to look at your cross. I want to follow you more than anything else. I want, to, I want to believe those things. Not just say the sinner's prayers, but believe it every single day. Because you've been that good to me. And that's why I want to give us the one thing today. The one thing for this morning is going deeper in fasting means desiring God above everything. Going deeper in fasting means desiring God above everything. I want to give us some practical things for this morning. Um, just for us to actually live some of these things out and uh, we have you know some a little bit of time to actually respond reflect and actually practice going deeper not just in the the details of fasting but actually saying god i want to desire you more than anything else so the first one is uh in in the notes there uh if if you are on the mobile app in the fill in the blank notes there's there's some fill in the blanks right there and if you don't i want to encourage you just take notes on your phone or if you have a piece of paper uh, just do this together. Number one is, I commit to praying for personal blank and external blank by fasting from blank. So as we begin this one desire fast, what I want us to do is actually make a commitment. Make a commitment. For many of us, like we, we're in that wishy-washy stage. We're like, oh, maybe I'll fast from this, but I'm not really sure. And We'll see a li little bit later. And You know what happens when you're saying, oh, maybe? It means you'll never, ever end up doing it. So let's actually commit together, and I want us to 
pray for two things because it's not just about removing things, but it's saying, God, I want you more. So there's something personal that we ought to be praying for. Maybe there's a decision you need to make. Maybe it's just, I want to go deeper with God. And you identify a particular area in your life. Maybe it's uh, developing and seeing God at work at your workplace. Or maybe learning how to study with God in mind. Or maybe leading your family in a biblical way. Whatever it is personally to you, write down that as a prayer request. And then externally, we don't want to make the fast just about ourselves. But we want to say, you know what, I want to pray for something outside of myself. Because I want to see what God sees. I want His desire, not my own desire. So what is God's desire? Let's pray for pre-Christians, those who don't believe in Jesus Christ. Pray for someone to come to know Christ. Pray for Hong Kong's situation. Pray that your life group or your, your life stage will actually do something, a missional initiative, something to go out and share the love of Christ with people who haven't heard it or experienced it before. Let's not be praying only for personal things but for external things. And then that last blank, fasting from, then specifically write out what are you fasting from. You can use the guidelines that were in, in the announcements, whether it's no meat or one meal a day or liquid or just whatever it is, do something that will stretch you. If it's too easy, you're not going to be desperate. If it's too hard, you're just going to give up. So do something that's appropriate for you. The second thing, during the times that you fast, push yourself to spend time in prayer instead of doing something else. This is what happens for so many of us. So we, we end up fasting, and we say, okay, I'm going to cut out a meal. And what do you end up doing with that meal? You do more work, or you study more, or you do another assignment, which totally defeats the purpose of fasting. Right? The fasting is to replace not one bad desire with another bad desire. It's to replace that desire with God. And I think this is the number one thing that I, I hear so many people struggle with. is like, oh, I didn't really get much out of fasting. Well, did you actually spend time in prayer? Well, not really. Then what did you do with the times that you didn't eat? Oh, well, I did other stuff. It defeats the purpose of fasting. So commit to it. Commit to actually taking those times out to actually pray, to meditate on God's Word, to study it more. Third thing, pray through the Psalms. Pray through the Psalms. And, and we didn't talk as much about prayer this morning. And so many of us are like, oh, I, I want some practical suggestions for how to go deeper in prayer. And one thing I want to encourage you is uh, the, the ODF, the Wednesday Fast booklet that we mentioned earlier. Through the mobile app, there's going to be daily prayer requests. There's going to be different articles there, I think, every other day that will share and remind us the purpose of why we fast and give some practical suggestions. So you can look up those resources to help you learn to pray, to pray and to fast. But one thing I really feel like you cannot replace is go to the Bible to learn how to pray. You go through the Psalms. And one thing I'm going to encourage us to do is just start with Psalm 63 because it's all about desiring God more than anything else. Go through the Psalms. Read through the Psalms. Meditate on it. Read it over again. Read it over ten times. And then begin to pray through it. Read a verse and then say a, a brief prayer that's in line with that verse. And let the psalmist teach you how to pray. Do that every single I really believe if you do that every single day for a year, your prayer life is going to grow like crazy. You're going to really learn how to pray because if you take one psalm and you go from one to all the way to 150, you're really going to learn how to pray according to the breath of Scripture. And then last thing, number four, is get accountability and encouragement in community. Get accountability and encouragement in community. Fasting is hard. And for many of us, we've never done it before. We're doing it for the first time or maybe just the second time. It's going to be easy to get discouraged. You're going to be like by yourself, sitting alone in your cubicle or at home or, you know, in class. You'll be like, oh, I hate fasting. Like, I don't want to do this. Why am I here? You know, like there's going to be like all these things. And don't get me wrong. Like your sin is going to come out. Okay. Turn to your neighbor and say your sin's going to come out. <laughs> Whether you like it or not. Your attitude, you're going to be more irritable, you're going to be more frustrated, you're going to be more unloving. But all of those are things to what? Have God point you back more toward Him. And so what you, we need to do is, in your life group communities, with your LCG accountability partners, with your discipling groups or mentoring groups, or whatever it is that you have in community, share with them what you're fasting from. Keep in touch with them. Just ask them, hey, can you pray for me? Oh, it's really hard today, like... I need some encouragement. Can you remind me of a verse? Do it together, because we believe as we do it together in community, 
That's where God is really going to meet us and help us to fast well. Let's stand together as we uh, spend some time in response. What I wanted to do with our response time is um, because we have a little bit of time, about like 20-some minutes or so, I, I wanted us to actually do this. And uh, if you haven't already written down your commitment, first thing I want you to do is just spend some time in reflection and actually write down what your commitment is. Think through, like, what are some things, God, that you want me to pray for? Personally, maybe it's just desiring God more. I just want to have a, a greater desire for you. And then write down what it is that you want externally. And write that down. Be, let that be the first thing. And the second thing I want us to do is then open up to Psalm 63 and just spend some time meditating on that verse and that whole psalm. It's not a, it's not a very long psalm. It all talks about just desiring and hungering and thirsting after him. And I'm praying that that psalm would become our prayer, that that, that desire would become our desire. And 20 minutes for some of us, you know, we'll have some worship intermingled with that. We're like, 20 minutes, that's a long time. Some of us, we've never prayed for longer than a couple minutes. But I'm hoping that during these next 12 days, it will stretch our prayer lives. Can you imagine, like, if you talked with your significant other for a maximum of five minutes at a time? Like, oh, honey, I'm, I'm done. I, I don't have anything else to say to you. Like, that would be weird. If you really love someone, if you really have a relationship with them, that means you, you desire to spend time with them. You don't run out of things to talk about or to say. I want to challenge us to, if, if you can only pray for two to three minutes, push for five. You can only pray for five to six minutes, push for ten. Whatever it is for you, push yourself that we're going deeper, desiring God more than anything else. Can we just do that? Again, if you haven't filled out that commitment first, then do that. If you already have, then turn to Psalm 63. Read through it. And let that start that prayer time. And as we pray through that, then we'll come with some worship. We'll close out together.
as we're praying and we're just meditating on that song, I know some of us, we are, um, some of us are just conflicted. It's like, we know we have some desires, we have some things, but we're just not willing to give them up. We don't, we don't want God. We feel that tension in our hearts. And encourage us if that's where we are, we just don't really see that hunger for God, but we desire it. Just to pray for that, to say, God, give me that hunger. Give me that hope. Give me something more that I, I don't have right now that can only come from you. Others of us are acutely aware of our need. And we've tried to find satisfaction. We tried to find hope in the world, in our careers, in our families, in our finances, in our futures. And we've been left feeling empty. And we just feel like spent. And if that's you, I want to encourage you as well. Just say, God, I need you right now. I'm so hungry for you. And even if I don't feel you right now, God, help me to come to you. And would you meet me in this place? Meet me here. Wherever you are, let's just respond to say, God, I want to hunger after you. I know some of us, we might need just to sit and just to reflect and to pray. If you, if you need to do that, then just let the band sing over you. Let, let others just sing and just listen to the words and let that inspire you to pray and to seek after him. And those of us, as we worship, as we turn our affections to God, we make him the object of everything that we desire. Let's sing and let's worship. Let's let this become our prayer of our hearts that we desire Him. Let's respond to worship. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.